Hey there, welcome to XR Industry Leaders with ArborXR. My name is Brad Scoggin, and I am the CEO and one of three co-founders of ArborXR. We've had the opportunity of working with thousands of companies since 2016. And we've learned a ton about what it takes for XR to be successful in your organization. And I'm Will Stackable, co-founder and CMO. This podcast is all about interviewing the leaders who are on the ground making XR happen today. True pioneers in the space, from Amazon, Walmart, and UPS, to Coke, Pfizer, and beyond to uncover the pitfalls, lessons learned, and secrets that you can use to help grow XR in your organization. All right, well today we get to sit down with MDA, and this is one of the rare occasions where we get to interview two people. So today we have Bart Roselenberg with us. Uh, Bart is the chief software architect for Gateway for the Gateway Robotics System. He's also the co-founder of the Dream Lab, which is the VR portion of uh, MDA. We also have Jessa Zabala, who is the VR lead at MDA, and she is the project lead at the Dream Lab, which means uh, she does uh, make, make sure everything runs well. So great to have you both on the show today. Good to be here. Nice. Yeah, nice to be here. Thanks for having us. Definitely. So I always like to start with a little bit of kind of personal background. So maybe if you guys would each take a turn and, and just tell us a little bit about uh, your work history prior to MDA and what, you le what led you to MDA and to uh, VR specifically. I'm going to let Bart start because I uh -oh. actually haven't heard this story. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I came straight out of uh, my master's. I was working in underwater robotics and MDA doing space robotics is a pretty cool place to be. Um, at MDA, I started out with medical robotics, uh, MRI compatible, breast biopsies, uh, a little bit of neurosurgery, um, and then spent a good number of years working on uh, a more detailed medical robot for looking inside of people's brains and helping with surgery there. So fit over top of an open brain. And that in turn led to other safety critical things like uh, like the GERF program that I'm on now. Uh, and in between, uh, you know, played with VR quite a bit in our uh, robotics lab. Awesome. So mine is a pretty random story. So uh, for me, I was just really, really into space and everything like that. So for me, it was like, age 15, see a picture of the International Space Station and the Canadarm on like a history textbook. And I was like, that, I'm going to do that. <laughs> um, so I went through university and just decided this is where I want to end up at MDA working on those robotics, um, like as my end game in my career. Um, I was lucky enough to actually get hired right out of school. And they gave me um, a HoloLens on my first day and said, hey, we have an app on this headset that interns have been working on for a really long time, but it's broken. Can you do that for your first six weeks? And I went, I wasn't hired for software. You guys know that, right? <laughs> and they're like, give it a try. And it was just kind of like the rest of my story after that, um, which is pretty cool. Because when um, the Dreamer Lab got interested in um, mixed reality and the HoloLens and Bart jumped on it, he started working on that throughout the first year of COVID and then looped me in around the end of 2020 when we started really working with the Oculus uh, for the VR per portion for training our astronauts. And yeah, a few years later, I am the VR lead now after training with Sensei Bart. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. The uh, Okay, so we, we should take one step back because you just said training astronauts. So uh, Arbor is a fully remote team. We actually had our all team call this morning. We were talking about this interview coming up and we have, we've got a big chunk of our team in Canada. 
And when we mentioned working or, or interviewing MDA, working with MDA, and then also the Canada arm, the Canadians all got very excited. So maybe if for those who are not Canadian, if one of you would just take a minute and tell, tell the world a little bit, like, what is MDA, for those who don't know, and the significance of uh, the Canada arm? Go for it, Jessa. It's your passion there. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so MDA, like, designed and developed the Canada arm, which put together the International Space Station uh, when it was first launched. So this is just a huge feat for Canada that this is our big claim to fame. Like the International Space Station is up there. And yes, NASA gets like to rubber stamp everything that goes up there, but we built it. <laughs> um, so exactly, it's on our money. The Candarm 2 is on our money, um, which is really cool. So the Candarm 1 built the, the International Space Station and the Candarm 2 and our dexterous robot called Dexter, it has two arms, um, helps maintain the station. So that's essentially what MDA does. We help maintain the International Space Station, help um, bring food up to astronauts and stuff like that. And yeah. So it's slightly a big deal. Uh, slightly. Very, cool. very, very cool. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, Bart, maybe you could tell us, you know, as being a co-founder of the Dreamer Lab and, and that being the VR portion, what was the process of bringing VR into the M into MDA? Huh, I wish it was something uh, crazy. Uh, we, we looked at initially the HoloLens and we're like, well, that's really cool. Let's play with that and see what we can make it do. And we, uh, we started toying with it. So the Dreamer Lab, we uh, have a couple of robots in there. Um, and so that gives us a little bit of a more... A physical manifestation of things in the HoloLens specifically let us play with overlaying virtual data over top of real world data. And so, you know, when you touch a robot, it has a sense of touch to it. And so being able to visualize this is how hard I pushed uh, right in front of you uh, instead of having to look at a computer uh, was pretty useful. So we started playing with uh, both uh, mixed reality and virtual reality. Um, just to see what we could do. And initially it's, it's very easy to go down the path of this is really cool. And we tried to quickly narrow it down to this is what adds value to our to our operators or to people, um, because it's easy to once you get over the flash of the, the technology, you know, what are you left with? And so that's kind of where we started looking at, well, we have all these detailed models. Uh, we're doing a lot of training of astronauts, but it's not easy to understand the training necessarily. When you look, look just at pictures or video, it's much easier to experience uh, the reality. And so at that point, you know, you get them. Um, a full-scale model of the International Space Station with Canon Arm 2 and SPDM. Um, and so we started playing with that. We got in touch with Kevin Nesimok, who is one of the uh, astronaut trainers uh, for MDA. And so we started bending back and forth, you know, how could you use this? What is useful? And so we would try a few things. We would, we would join up together in uh, virtual uh, space in an online room and, and try the application and see what was useful. And it kind of just snowballed from there. Have you had any big aha moments? Um, and even I'm curious during during COVID, did did did, it, did this change the urgency or the need? But have you had any of those moments where you thought, okay, we, this is something we just couldn't do before XR? Yeah, for sure. So obviously, COVID, we started playing with this months before COVID hit. So uh, literally, I grabbed the Hololens from the office, went home, and didn't come back for a couple of years. Uh, yeah. One of the aha moments was the borders were shut down, right? And so Kevin had to train uh, somebody in Houston. And you could do that through a Zoom link and see each other physically. 
but we tried using the HoloLens instead. And the real aha moment there was that Kevin could virtually see the astronaut nodding along and looking and getting that sense of presence and connection. And you just couldn't get that uh, through the Zoom link in the same in the same sense. And same thing when we were collaborating to figure out the applications, we stopped meeting on Zoom and we would just join in the application. And again, you're talking with three or four people and you look at them and you get a sense of the physical interaction. And especially during COVID, that physical presence was missing and, and the VR ironically actually gave you some of that back. Brilliant. So fast forward, uh, it's now, you know, October and we're past kind of that initial COVID shock. Everybody, a lot of people are back in the office. How are you using XR today and what's changed? What's evolved? I think in part, um, we're doing, even though we can travel again, um, doesn't mean that you want to. And so it's expensive. And so, you know, doing testing uh, on hardware, for example, is, could be pricey. Um, or sorry, it's, it can be expensive to bring people to the testing. And so using VR to allow telepresence to participate in the test, to see what's going on is useful. Uh, anomaly detection is helpful. We continue to do a lot of training. And at this point, it's not so much that you couldn't do it using the standard classroom approach. It's that it is nicer to have that all encompassing environment where you are on station and you are actually, um, seeing uh, the real deal. And, and actually, as an anecdote there, uh, Tim Copra, who was our, um, uh, he ran our division for quite a while. He is one of the uh, astronauts that was on station. And I walked him through it with uh, a HoloLens and we exploded the station full scale. And wow. we were standing on top of one of the uh, habitat modules outside the station. And he looked at me and he said, this brings me back to doing a spacewalk. Like he mm. had the, he got the chills from being back on orbit. And so that was very awesome very cool. just to get that, uh, that presence. Uh, but also it gives you, again, it gives you to anybody who can't be an astronaut, it does give you that sense of, oh, wow, I'm seeing this. Uh, and so as part of that, the next generation, the, the gateway program that uh, NASA and Canada and other countries are participating in, we took all those models. And, and again, as an extension now, we can walk around the gateway station virtually and, and experience the, the scale, the differences with ISS. Um, yeah, again, it just gives you that presence. Yeah, I love that. we've that, also what a great use case. Found, go ahead. We've also found that our students are just way more engaged, like in the virtual space, because it's there's like this sense of like freedom where you can stick your head in like this model, you can touch stuff, you can pick stuff up without feeling like oh, this is hardware, this is space hardware. Um, like a huge part of it is like we can take off all of like the shells on our hardware and they can see it moving, right? Which is not the same experience they get when they have to fly to like any of our sites, right? Like we have engineering models, but they're all encased in metal, obviously. So you only get like the outside, whereas here they get to see like all of the gears kind of shifting and things moving. It's like, oh, that's how that moves. Um, that's what you guys are talking about when you're saying that. Um, so it's just, it's been really cool. And just the fact that our training sessions are now like multi-site, right? Like they're not, mm -hmm. they, people don't have to fly all to Houston, right? Like we're actually facilitating sessions, facilitating sessions between St. Hubert, Houston and Brampton all at once where Brampton is providing tech support on the Arbor XR side, right? And then 
St. Hubert has the trainers and Houston has the students. And it's it's just crazy how well this works. Um, and especially when the students finally meet their teachers like in person, it's like, it's you, but you're in person. Um, a crazy thing is that we worked with Kevin every day for like two years during COVID, did not meet him in person for two years. We finally meet him and it's like, you're already best friends because you feel like you're with this person physically every day. And I remember this wow. one time Kevin and I were having a meeting in VR and he sneezed and I actually flinched. <laughs> even though yeah. He wasn't so, there. <laughs> so because I know Kevin will ultimately end up listening to this after two years of working <laughs> together, the height adjustment on the headsets was not necessarily representative, right? And so when I met him the first time, he came up to about my mid chest level. He's a very short <laughs> gentleman, very yeah. nice guy, but it was, it's been no end of uh, a fun for us to realize that we've known each other for two years, but just some of the scale differences just never quite uh, hit home. Um, but Bart is also a giant. So that was a shock factor for me <laughs> yeah, too. <that's> <laughs> um, one of the other things we've done, we've run probably 250, maybe 300 of our uh, fresh hires. MDA has been going through our growth spurts. And so uh, rather than trying to go through slides, uh, we do a lot of our onboarding in VR now. So people get to walk around the station to understand what they're working on. Uh, and including our mission ops people, they, uh, they, they look at how do we want to use the robotics in the future. And they've indicated that after a year of doing this work uh, on their computer on a flat screen, uh, the insights that they gained in just an hour of being in virtual reality were enormously powerful for them, wow. uh, which was a super exciting uh, validation of the work we were doing. Yeah, and we used to not actually have this kind of training onto like a program because we never had hiring sprees like this. It was like maybe like one or two engineers got hired every year and that person got paired up with a senior engineer and they would work with them as a junior for a year or two before they were independent. But due to the amount of work and growth that we've seen, that's just not feasible anymore. So we were like, hey, uh, we think we need to onboard these people properly. Can we use this tool? And they were like, oh, awesome. We glad, we're glad that you guys already developed a tool like this. Yeah. Um, so it's it's definitely seen like site-wide use. Like we have so many tours booked. It's, wow. it's crazy. And it definitely, it raises morale like from, from the people in finance to our engineers, to our interns. So it's, it's huge. So I, I want to zoom out because I'm going to ask the question that I think a lot of people listening probably are asking. This is a, your, your use case is pretty sophisticated. There's a lot of companies right now that are just early on testing out is VR, is you know, VR, AR even something we wanted to use? How can we use it? Your team has been doing this for a while and you're using it in multiple different ways. You have a whole fleet of headsets. So could you just give me like sort of the 10,000 foot view on, you mentioned students, then you mentioned onboarding with um, new employees, and then you mentioned astro training astronauts. And I know you're also using it for pitch presentations. Just give me the like short 10,000 foot view. Where is, so I'm almost thinking like this is, you know, th this new technology, you're using it in so many different ways. So give us like the, the high level. Of how we're using it or, or sorry. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like get the, the bullet list of, Okay, engineers here, students here, astronauts, pr new presentations. Kind of just give us like the laundry list of all the ways you're using it. Oh, 
Um, it's a couple different major programs effectively that are, uh, are involved. So for gateway, there is uh, mission analysis, uh, that we're doing with it. Um, so just making sure, seeing, you know, how does the arm move? What is the perspective? Is there a reach of uh, limitation? Will we hit something physically, uh, for all the various configurations on the station? Uh, it is, you know, the, it's a training thing where you can see, uh, what are the different modules called? Uh, looking at hardware, so grabbing a, a piece of hardware that we would normally have to build and taking it into pieces. So for especially the ISS space station, uh, we, we, we were able to take all of our tools, explode them. And then again, it, it goes through understanding how these pieces are, are put together. Um, and a lot of it is, is related to that. I, I'm not sure okay, a lot of it is for overview, uh, of of the general context, I guess, uh, for, we do it for both for GERS and for the ISS, uh, we do it with, uh, to some extent with nuclear as well. Um, and then the other part is in the dreamer lab where we have a set of, uh, emulation systems in place so that the robots pretend to be certain physical things. Um, uh, and then we overlay uh, a satellite on top of that, for example, so that when you physically hit the robot mm. uh, and it moves over to the side, um, you can visually see the satellite move with it so that you have, it's more a, a context cue in that case. It's easier to understand what you're looking at when you have that visual overlay of, uh, of the physical hardware. Mm -hmm. But we're also able to control our robots in the lab through the headset as well. Bart made yeah. that available. So it become it goes from being like you have three people in the lab to just one person who can do everything. They can control the robots through the headset. They can see what they need to see with the data. Um, they can hold the e-stop for the robots if things go unsafe. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I think a big part of it is ultimately it's the overview, especially at the scale with which we work and the expense of creating the real physical elements, uh, if you could even house them in a, in a space, uh, having very early, uh, life-size access and context for those, uh, scenarios is incredibly helpful. Just being able to walk around a space station sitting inside. I have never seen anything other than diagrams of the gateway station, but I already know that it is far smaller than the international space station. It is a cramped space compared to the ISS. I know that XDA and XLA, which are the two robotic systems, are far smaller than the equivalents on the ISS. And so just that context of of what you're building, it's much easier when you know, oh, this is what it looks like because it is just in front of you. So when, when you mentioned students, did you mean astronauts? Are those yeah. or is yeah. okay. Okay. So you call so, them students. Interesting. It's yeah. hard to, it's astronauts hard to think and training. Astronaut well, yeah. 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 <laughs> so we, we say, we say student because like we, we train astronauts and flight controllers. Um, Got so like it. every aspect of like running ops essentially, it. like it's, they're a student because it could be like anybody has this hat. Right. Um, but yes, it's weird to think of them as students, but they're trainees until they launch. <laughs> no, that makes more sense. I was thinking students in a classroom, like K through 12, I'm thinking, oh, is that, is that an extra thing you, your team does? <laughs> okay. So I, I think I'm, I'm getting it now. The last piece that I wanted to hear about, and then I know Brad's got questions on challenges. Do you use VR, AR in presentations as your either commercial applications or for government organizations? Could you share, I know there's a story there as well. Um, we heard a great story about how you used Arbor in one of those, but I think it's also just helpful for 
uh, companies listening that are interested in using VR for presenting complicated information or presenting visuals that you know, don't show up as well in a, in a diagram or on a, on a PowerPoint, put somebody in a headset and stick them in you know, the, the space station and, and that's a whole nother level of immersion. So maybe you could share just a little bit about that use case. Yeah, so we definitely use it for uh, demos and presentations and pitches just to, um, I mean, I know a lot of the people that come to us, like the the business side folk um, want the wowza factor. And then for us as engineers, we're doing it like this is like a use case. So our, our audience is more like we're trying to sell the engineers on this, that this is a practical thing. Um, so one of our recent presentation pitches um, for some of one of our hopefully commercial robotics, uh, since I can't say the name of the customer since this is still um, in works, um, but they were doing the presentation that they wanted a VR aspect to sell this customer like this is what it will look like when you're there as an astronaut if you if you take us on this is what it will look like this is your scale these are the ops that they can do and so we were going to give this whole presentation of like the operations that they want our robotics to do and we're like well we've already done this in vr and we were so excited it looked so realistic like this was this was the whole selling point we weren't just going to show them like cad models like this already looks like it has flown and we're showing it in like the context of like the earth is there and the moon is there right and it is like 10 minutes before showtime and keep in mind we went to like do a test run the day before so we were so sure we're like this works um so 10 minutes before they're like, oh my gosh, everything is glitchy. What is happening with this build? We tested it. Like, I don't understand. Um, and we're like, okay, roll back one version. It's still glitchy. And like amazing people on site, they were, I feel like we were all so calm for like what was happening here. Cause everyone was like, okay, that doesn't work. Roll it back. That doesn't work. So I'm in Brampton rolling things back on Arbor XR with the version control and like every like 60 seconds or whatever the three people that are there getting things set up are like testing that version and finally like we get to like our last version and they we hear footsteps coming (laughs) (laughs) and we we find one that works we're like it's not glitchy it works okay and then i just like i'm sitting there in vr because i've been testing with them remotely waiting for the people to come in and then they come in and we're like yeah hi virtual handshake everything's fine here um and it goes so perfectly like the like the suits i want to call them suits because they're more (laughs) executive type people they were impressed um but the reaction from their vr team was like what was perfect to me because they were super excited from like a technical standpoint they were just nerds they were zooming around asking about things how do we do this how do we do that let's collaborate um so that was just very exciting for us and it could have gone south pretty fast so we were so happy that we were able to do that remotely like this was happening in houston and i was in brampton running all of this um so that was that was amazing (laughs) 
Yeah, that's awesome. That's uh, it's fun. To Our engineers to are going to love to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, sometimes it feels like we're in a closet building stuff. So it is fun to hear. You know, the we helped somebody for real. So that, that that's very very cool. Uh, okay, so here's my question. Um, I just have to say too that that scenario we had something like that in mind. You know, we heard from we've heard from a number of customers. They're they're having to ship thumbnail, uh, you know, thumb drives and or, or Google Drive links, and so in that scenario, you, you, it's not an option, right? Like you're it's you're not. trying to upload something to Google Drive, send a link over, good luck shipping something. You know, there's there's no way yeah. to. So and really, you we, needed something that was instantaneous. And we had multiple issues with this, like not just from like the ArborXR standpoint where we had to like version change. We had shipped our own headsets; they had gotten lost in oh transit gosh. so they had to buy new headsets set them up with arbor xr oh, no. so we're lucky that we have a team down there that like we're we speak to often like we're very connected with them and they were like they we remotely helped them set them up then we could see them on arbor xr and we we're like good and then i'm like They're push there. the build <laughs> <laughs> no we we've heard of people on arbor uh, tracking down stolen headsets that yeah. disappeared and they showed up somebody's house and said, Hey, you've got our headset. And so that's, that's definitely the remote, the <laughs> remote location. I, I do that as well. A, it's, it's so creepy. I let everyone know. I'm like, if you're taking a headset home, <laughs> I, know, I know where, I know you, where live. you live. <laughs> this is counterproductive <laughs> for me, Jessa. I, I have a habit of taking stuff. So this is not, good. I know that's why, that's why I still know you were the one that took that one, <laughs> that, that one headset that oh, suddenly yeah. turned up again. And now we all know. Now we yeah. all know. Bart. <laughs> oh, that's funny. It, it's funny too, because it wasn't, I mean, when we, when we made the, transition as a company from entertainment to enterprise some of the, and we started interviewing companies that me like will said they weren't just mailing thumb drives thumb drives back and forth some they would ship the whole headset back right like we need to get this headset updated i mean we talked to a guy from a mate i mean a fortune 500 <laughs> company he's got boxes all around him this is probably two years ago he, he was the shipping guy he was the guy who would ship headsets back and forth to update them so it's funny that we're not that far removed from kind of a weirdly archaic approach to such a forward-thinking yeah. technology um but okay, so a lot of the companies we talk to uh, have maybe one or two very specific use cases, or you know maybe it's in training, but there's several use cases within training. So I think it's very interesting that you you do have this multitude of use cases from onboarding to training to putting someone inside the space station. So maybe talk about some, and you shared a little bit, but maybe some of the unique, unique challenges with your process of deploying XR, and then. It sounds like you've had to kind of iterate on the fly because there's been an appetite for more. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear about some of those challenges. Even even on the soft side, you mentioned it being nice that you have people in the field that you have a relationship with that you know helps has helped kind of grease the wheels on this thing. So yeah, maybe just talk through some of the challenges of deploying XR the way that you're doing it. So certainly before Arbor XR came along, a uh, key challenge obviously was just having to manually update all these units. So that was especially given that we have uh, controlled materials in our applications. We have station models, we have robotic arm models. Uh, we cannot just freely share those uh, publicly. So some of the more standard tools are just not uh, compatible with that. Um, a big problem is that for, for us at least is that we were doing a lot of, uh, a lot of our models are engineering based. And so I got a gateway model, it was three gigabytes. That's not exactly Oculus compatible. And so, uh, or quest compatible. And so, uh, just figuring out uh, along the way, how do you, um, 
you know, how do you get these massive models uh, into the applications and then distribute it? Uh, I, the other key challenge I think we had, um, and not so much in the, the delivering the applications, uh, it was connecting them. The um, uh, As much as Microsoft has got uh, Mesh coming out slowly, uh, as an example, and Oculus has uh, a certain amount of public uh, interaction, having multi-user experiences was not something that was really easy to do out of the box. It took a while to to figure out or set up an environment where you could easily share all these models, all these uh, uh, interactions uh, virtually among multiple, amongst multiple headsets. And I think that's been one of the critical things is that the VR is neat on your own. It really unfolds when you have multiple people. You need mm -hmm. to be able to collaborate and be together uh, and see the same thing. Um, so that was probably a big, a, a big one for us, uh, Jessa. Yeah, I I would agree. I, like, I think for me now, more of the issue is because like, so we can do, we have so much control in house, right? Because um, everything's secure. Everybody has like um, security clearance and that kind of stuff. But mm -hmm. some of our customers, right? Like the Canadian Space Agency, they have even more security mm -hmm. on them because they're a government agency um so this has been like a a hard fought battle is that they have their own headsets we have to securely transmit our app to them they have to sideload each and every one right they can't they won't give us access to doing that with um with the old uh version of doing this when we had uh what were we using like the Oculus business or something like that. Yeah. yeah, they they wouldn't get on board with that. It wasn't secure enough to them. So we were just doing that like in-house, right? And because of that, we had to be able to deploy to it. Like we could only deploy to headsets that were in our lab. Like we couldn't deploy like to other locations and stuff. So we still had to send the app um, <laughs> and it has to be sent securely. So that could take all day. So like any kind of rollback, that's that's not possible. And each one had to be side loaded. So that's like our headsets in Houston. That's our headsets like on site at St. Hubert. And then that's here, right? And then it's also everybody that has one at home. Um, so with Arbor XR, it's actually been a battle now one with the Canadian Space Agency to actually get their headsets on Arbor XR because it's so secure, right? And then we, can now like distribute the app because we still own the app, right? And that's one has been one of the issues is that like, okay, well, we can't give you access to this and we have to control the headsets. But now that we can deploy directly to the headsets, there's none of this issue anymore. And even doing that with future customers, we can say, you guys can buy the headsets. We still have control over the deployment. You won't have access to all of like, the code and that sort of thing anymore, which I think has been a huge battle for us now with security. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Another story that the engineers are going to love, love, love. They, they spend a lot of time working and thinking about security. And obviously it's a big deal, right? I mean, it's a really mm -hmm. big deal, uh, generally speaking, but especially in a use case like yours. Um, another question, we I mean, again, all these different use cases, uh, lots of custom specialty content. Are you making content in-house or, or where's, where's your content coming from? 
we make content in-house yeah. we it is pretty amazing because it used to just be bart and then it was just me and bart and now we have a team of i want to say like 10 people um, with like various roles to make this happen, um, which is honestly still not enough with the amount of work that's coming down the pipeline. Um, but yeah, we have content developers in Unity, but then we also have like one software debugger, which we would love to have another <laughs> like yeah. software backend person. We have um, people who specifically focus on the models and making sure that they are XR friendly, um, especially for the Oculus. Um, then we have trainers who are like, our users and making things work and then giving us the feedback of what needs to be changed. Um, we have ops planners. It's, it's pretty great. <laughs> and I think that is probably one of the keys that we uncovered fairly early on is that there is development for VR, which as Jessa said, was oftentimes me, especially at the beginning. Um, and then there was the content generation where you're in Unity, you drag objects around, you attach existing capabilities to them and you make an environment that you, uh, that you enjoy or that, that gets your lesson across. And so we set up just enough infrastructure so that the content generators did not have to be programmers. You could just make the scene the way you want. And uh, we, we have, as a result, leverage for doing some uh, building upgrades. And so one of the non-programmers went ahead and used our framework to put together a room the way he likes. He didn't have to do any programming for it because he just has to generate the content and then we have simple build scripts in place to to get him out uh, onto his headset. Uh, so yeah, that, that separation of developer versus content generation was really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. Uh, well, this has been awesome. Honestly, I mean, so many cool use cases. You guys have great energy and obviously are super passionate about VR and the use cases. Um, as we kind of move to a wrap, um, just curious, maybe it, it can even just be a, a, a simple answer. You, you guys are pretty deep in this again with multiple use cases, significant use cases, kind of what's your, what's your dream or where do you see XR going from here at MDA? So for me personally, I love it when it's the engineers who are asking for the latest build to use this for some sort of like, um, design planning or ops planning, like this is like they're looking at the International Space Station and they're all going around it and saying, yeah, this is where we're going to do the op or this is where we're mm. going to put the payload. Um, that for me is like if this is an engineering tool that most of our engineers want to use, that's just a huge win for me. Um, and then especially like our customer, like with the Canadian Space Agency, mm -hmm. I love the fact that more and more of like the flight controllers are like, oh yeah, we love this. Like for, for training, if this has like the instructions on how to do maintenance, like right there, like that, that is awesome. So for me, it's the, it's the practical everyday use cases. Um, that's my goal. I think mine might be a little bit more uh, off the wall. Uh, my hope <laughs> as Gateway launches, uh, we're going to be in orbit around the moon with the Gateway Station and robotic operations. And I think the one of the ones I would love to see, and I think is possible, is outreach. I would love to be able to give a headset to a classroom full of students and say, mm -hmm. uh, watch, we're going to, uh, right now on the, in the, on the moon, they are doing this operation with the arm and you're seeing live data on your headset. And 
Well, there are some controls that need to be considered for that, but I, I think that would be just such an amazing use case um, to be able to participate in that way in an operation going on and stand there as the arm does something. Yeah, because right now um, we can watch like things that happened on orbit, but that's stuff that we are, we're doing after the fact, like we're taking the telemetry like from on orbit and then we're playing it back real fast, mm -hmm. like in our visualizer, which is still cool to watch like after yeah. the fact. And it's great for like, um, like figuring things out and seeing like where things went wrong. But. The other fun example there is that the Dragon capsule, we have mission telemetry from a Dragon capsule orbiting above the space station or uh, hovering above the space station coming in and then being grappled by SSRMS and being docked onto the station, all of it real telemetry. Uh, that is only after the fact. Uh, it's certainly very humbling to stand with a life-size shuttle coming down at you as the arm grabs it. But being able to do that live, I think, uh, and for general public outreach, I, I think that would be really, really cool for the technology to proceed to. And beyond that, what Jessa said, the, en the engineers wanting to use the tool and it being valuable to their day-to-day, -day, uh, I think that's probably the two main uh, main objectives I would have in mind. Well, that, I mean, I think that's a huge, just further validation of XR. When, when the engineers see it as a, you know, a necessity to do their job or they think they can do their job better, that's that's really cool to hear. And the student thing, yeah, I mean, that sounds incredible. Uh, talk about a great way to get the next generation of astronauts excited. Yeah, uh, for sure. Or students, as you call them. <laughs> yeah. uh, student astronauts. Uh, well, uh, we're at time, but this has been awesome, guys. Really, really appreciate you making the time to do this and uh, look forward to chatting again in, uh, in the future. Awesome. Thanks for having us. It's great. Thanks. Uh, I had to make a quick wardrobe change for those of you that are watching. Uh, we, we ran out of time yesterday, so we're doing this after the fact. But that, that was a very fun interview. Uh, I mean, training astronauts, I don't know how it gets more uh, serious than that. I know. Thanksgiving's coming up, so I'm going to have some stories to share with my family. Usually I'm trying to explain something about device management, and they're always scratching their heads, but astronauts, not a bad... Build, building we should the say We should say station. students, right? Astronauts in yes. training. Yeah, I think one thing that was really impactful to me was just, uh, I mean, I've said this again on other on other calls, but we're seven years in, we are to doing this. I know VR is a bit older than that, for sure. But And just now we're starting to see these broad use cases where you have companies using VR, not just for one, but multiple different applications. Um, They're talking about everything from pitching commercial clients and putting them in a headset to uh, preparing people to do spacewalks and and doing I never even heard of the use case combining VR with physical robotics so that you can mm -hmm. sort of have a give a, a better feedback on on how things are on the training process so the training and testing process to me that that's so exciting to, to see that this is it's just part of their daily life right now VR is integrated into their overall tech stack it's um it's a core technology for them and it's not going anywhere yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think seeing for several, com many companies now, VR training is now, it's really being integrated as a, as a part of their overall training strategy is super encouraging for, for all of us uh, who, who have been doing this for seven years. So uh, as always, thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, you can uh, check us out wherever you get your podcasts and we will see you next time.